0: Welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. I'm your host, Allison Treat. Hello, readers, and welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 21 of season four. Before we get started, I'd like to ask you to do a few things to support the show. Number one, subscribe or follow the show. Then, if you could furthermore rate and review it, it doesn't take long. You just say how many stars you think it is, and you can make your um, review as short or as long as you like. I think my shortest one says great show or five stars or something like that. If you'd like to join the community and talk about the show, you can join our Facebook group. It can be found on Facebook at Historical Fiction Unpacked Podcast group. And then also we can be found on Instagram at Historical Fiction Unpacked. And if you want to go above and beyond and support the show monetarily, we have a number of perks you can earn on Patreon. You can find that at patreon.com slash alisontreat, that's Allison with one L, A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T. So my friends, today I'm sharing a conversation I had with author Scott Gates. His second book, Gone the Redeemer, released yesterday. That was June 15th for those of you listening in the future. June 15th, 2022. He is a magazine editor with a background in journalism and public relations, but he started writing fiction about 10 years ago. So we talk about that story and we get into all the ins and outs of his books of and his research process. And it's a really great conversation. I think you guys are going to love it. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Scott Gates. Scott, thank you so much for joining me on the show today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk historical fiction.
0: Yeah, me too. Um, your latest novel, Gone the Redeemer, is releasing or has released June 15th by the time this episode releases. Yep. Can you tell me about this book?
1: Sure. So uh, this is the my second novel, and it's written first person. Um, and I guess when I Went into it, I was looking for something a little more action packed than my first book. We can talk about that. So, this is set in 1898 in the American West. And it's, I I describe it as 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 close to a Western as I'm going to get. It's not, it's a a transitionary period in that part of the country, especially during that time. So, there's it's kind of an interesting, um, you know, there's there's still echoes of the old West, but there's emerging technology too. So it's really, yeah. it's about, a um, this character Thomas, who is trying to get home to California. He was, uh, kind of an accidental, uh, sign up for the Spanish American war. So his, mm. he faces a lot of, uh, predicaments trying to get from the front in Cuba home to California before his wife has their first child. Right. So he meets a lot of characters along the way. And, um, those characters kind of spin off of some traditional Western stereotypes, but definitely I work to turn those, um, turn those around, write the stereotypes, I guess you could say.
0: Okay. Great. Um, So I mentioned to you that I've started reading this and I love it so far. Um, What inspired you to write this?
1: A few things. So what first, and I had to think about this, a little bit uh, recently to reflect on things. But I think what first Mm -hmm. got me interested in the time period was we, we, uh, right now I live in North Carolina. We used to live in Northern Virginia and Mm -hmm. at uh, Quantico Marine Base, there's a a museum, a marine history museum. And there's this, they have great exhibits, but there's this little diorama of the Spanish-American War that shows some soldiers on this hill in Cuba with just this, you know, kind of epic seascape behind them. And that was just an interesting scene to me. I'd not really thought much or learned much about the Spanish-American War. So Mm -hmm. I just, in the back of my head, it was like, well, that would be an interesting thing to write about. And at the time I was working on my first novel, Hard Road South, which is set in Northern Virginia about five years after the Civil War. So I was living in that history. When I finished that, Like I said, I wanted something a little more action-packed. So here's the other influence, which, bear with me. Um, If you are familiar with the song, it's contemporary, the song Bang Bang, it's Ariana Grande, Jessie J, and Nicki Minaj. It's the bang bang into the room. It came out, like, I don't know, seven years ago. Um, Yeah. It's been a while. Anyway, that's, like, such a high-energy song with this ensemble cast. And I was like, I want to write something. Like that. And so oh, wow. For historical fiction, yeah. it's a little random, but um I do there's a nod to that song in the book, but really I just wanted that high energy and pull in some different characters that each bring right. their own thing to the story. So um as far as the time and place, I thank the Marine Corps Museum as far as the energy and the you know, kind of the drive of the plot. I gotta thank you know, Ariana Grande, Jesse J, and Nicki Minaj. At least for that wow.
0: that energy. So that that's interesting. No, I I get what you're saying about the uh, the energy and the different characters coming in. Yeah. So you mentioned a couple times that this is your second novel, and your first, Hard Road South, is tied to the second because they're in the same world, I believe. Yeah. Did
1: uh, yeah. yeah. So can
0: you tell me about that?
1: Sure. There's one is not a se- you know one's not a sequel to the other, but. Right, There is a carryover character. So uh, Gone the Redeemer takes place about 30 years after Hard Road South. And there is a neighbor boy in Hard Road South who uh, one of the main characters interacts with a little bit, John Stibbs Jr. And so by the time 30 years later, there's a separate character entirely off. He knows nothing about Northern Virginia. He's never been there, but he encounters who kind of turns out to be like, the main bad guy, I mean, he's not, he's not so bad, <laughs> but is, uh, this kid grown to be a man. So it's wow. not that you have to have read hard road South to appreciate that in any way, but it is definitely a, a little tie in that I wanted to work in there.
0: Yeah, that's, I love it when authors do things like that. That's great. Um, so I want to know a little bit about how you became a writer. Have you always loved to write? How tell me about that path?
1: Yeah, I, I've always enjoyed writing. My father was a journalist, magazine journalist, and I've followed in his footsteps. That's my day job is magazine journalism. I'm an editor. So okay. from, I'd say in high school, I started writing just for the fun of it. Well, I was journaling in junior high before that. But I'd say more polished work in high school in the form of personal essays mainly. And yeah. I would write a few short stories. At that point, but nothing, I could never imagine writing a novel and I didn't want to. It wasn't in me at the time. So, yeah. probably creative writing wise, after college, I wrote some poetry, but it kind of took a back seat to professional, what I was doing professionally for years. So, I got into mm-hmm. corporate communications and script writing and, uh, you know, speech writing. And then, like I said, magazine journalism. Um, So it was probably, it was, um, an interesting time in 2012, my father died. He had lung cancer and passed away in August of 2012. That was a few months before our first daughter was born, our first child. So it was definitely this big time of transition for me. And I was, I was, uh, I just at some point felt the urge to write what I thought was going to be another short story. And it was mm-hmm. a story about a good guy that bad things keep happening to, you know, mm-hmm. no big surprise there. I would feel the need <laughs> to write that. So, cause my father was a great guy and, and I felt like, you know, these bad, bad things were happening to him all of a sudden. So this was yeah. when he was still alive, by the way, but he had his, had his diagnosis. So um, okay. I wrote what, Uh, It was set in Virginia, where we were living at the time. I was influenced a lot by that history. And I got to a point where I was like, well, this is not a short story. This is the first chapter. So I called it chapter one, moved on to chapter two. And my dad was able to read those first few chapters. And he really was like, you're a writer. This is, you need to do something with this. So I think that helped kind of push me to see it through. And, and once I got going with the rhythm, it just kind of flowed. And, um, and after I was done, I, I, like I'd said, I was like, you know, I'd like to write something else now that's a little different. So I think now that I have the rhythm down of how to write in that longer form, it's, it's just what I'm doing right now. So, um, we'll see how many books I have in me, but I'll, you know, that's just, uh, what I enjoy right now. So I, I, I've been doing it for about Um, 10 years now, as far as writing novels.
0: Yeah. So how did you, then once you got that book written, um, what was, how did you end up finding, is it Blue Ink Press is the publisher? Yeah. How did you end up going with them? I'm glad you asked. So
1: (laughs) I did, I'm very new to this part of the publishing world, the book publishing, it was foreign to me. So I... I got to a point where I had a manuscript and and I, I started looking at it. I realized I knew enough that if you wanted to be with a larger publisher, you needed an agent because you can't pitch right. these larger publishers directly. So, so I did some research and I was like, I have found my agent. And I remember, you know, calling my mom and being like, hey, I found an agent. She sounds perfect for me. And I <laughs> sent a letter to her and was all ready to go and didn't hear back. Nothing for weeks. And then <laughs> so I was like, well, maybe she didn't get the letter. So I, you know, that must be it. I mean, it has to be it. So I like followed up. And then I think eventually I did hear from her. Maybe it was a month or two down the line, just like thanks, but no thanks. So at this point, though, I right. realized, well, maybe I should, you know, not put all my eggs in one basket. So I started reaching out to some other agents. By the end of it, I think I had sent maybe 80 pitch letters to these yeah, agents. Wow. And heard a bunch of either nothing or, this isn't marketable because um oh my gosh. it's uh it's set in the Reconstruction era. So it's you know, mm-hmm. five years after the Civil War, like I said, and yeah. it's the portion of history that you just there's a chapter on it, maybe in history books and in high <laughs> school, and but it's confusing politics and people move on. But it really it mm-hmm. is like this amazing uh, transitionary period for our nation. And right and there was a lot of formative things going on in that time. Some things we didn't get right, some things you know were uh, made for a better future for people. But still, it was um, I thought it was an interesting era. So, yeah, I, I was a little frustrated and um, started kind of pivoted and started looking at independent publishers because I could, mm-hmm. for one, pitch them directly, so I felt I had a little more control. Right. And my wife found this workshop in Wake Forest put on by a Raleigh publisher I did not know was around before that and um, mm-hmm. said you should check this out it's about selling your manuscript and I was like well that, I need to learn more about that obviously so I went to the workshop and um, asked them it kind of followed up with with Amanda the their editor and, and asked if she could take a look at my pitch letter um, just because obviously something wasn't working so she right. said, sure. And then I said, also, you know, I'm pitching this book. So um, she was like, well, send me that, that manuscript too. I think Sherry may have asked for that. Sherry, Sherry's uh, the owner of the publishing company. So I send Sherry okay. and Amanda, my, my pitch letter and manuscript. And I'm like, please let me know how I should make this letter better. Don't hear anything bad. Right. This like <laughs> maybe two weeks. <laughs> and So I never get edits for that letter but maybe two weeks later, Sherry emails me and says, Hey, we should get coffee. <laughs> so we did. And that's when she had had an opportunity to read the book and loved it. So um, wow. they offered to publish it and we moved forward. So I never got edits for that pitch letter. But
0: well, you didn't need it I anymore. I guess not.
1: They wanted to, they didn't dare. Give me tips on how to sell that thing anymore I guess so. <laughs> anyway they right. they're fabulous and they're local so like I said, I'm able to get coffee with them and they they're connected with my local bookstore page one fifty eight books in Wake Forest um, yeah. whose owners are fabulous so I feel like I've built out this local network and Blue Ink really does treat its authors like family We they um they keep us connected to each other and we share tips together and they're very supportive of whatever I'm working on. Not to say that they're going to print whatever's next, but they're interested and, you know, feel invested. So so I love that. Yeah. That's great. Yeah.
0: That's wonderful. Um, So tell me a little bit about your research process. How do you make sure that your details are accurate when you go back in history?
1: A lot of it is kind of on the fly internet searches. And I want to say that I like, you know, retire to some dusty library and spend hours (laughs) thumbing through the stacks. But I, I've, for my first book, I picked up a few local books on uh, Loudoun County history in Northern Virginia that I couldn't Mm -hmm. find that sort of information online otherwise. But for the most part, for Gone the Redeemer, a lot of that history was not specific to one region. He's traveling. Right. So he goes through Texas, New Mexico, Colorado, places I'd been to. So, you know, I was pulling from personal experience as far as the landscape, but then as far as the details of the era, it's just kind of you get to you learn to you hit a you know, hit a point and fact-check stuff. Like um, at one point a character has a piece of candy. I was like, well, I wonder if that piece of candy would be around in 1898. Sure enough, not quite yet. So I had to, <laughs> you know, change it a little bit or maybe it was new. And so I addressed it as such, you know, some new piece of candy that the main character had never seen before. So it's just right. kind of, um, and, and I keep track of all those little things. I have a separate document where I can, by chapter, post all these links to all the little facts that I checked. So that's, that's how I do it. I try not to get too hung up on things, but I do take the time to research as I'm writing because a lot of times things come up that can affect the plot itself. So, right. I have found, you know, tying in little events in history, I've adjusted timelines in my books to hit those things, you know, current events of the, of the time.
0: Sure. Yeah. And a lot
1: of times that can drive the plot. So, that's, I think that's a helpful tool.
0: Yeah, and and it's a lot of work if you find out down the road that something wasn't around when you thought it was or you have to go back and do more work to rearrange things in your manuscripts.
1: Oh, right. Well, It was pretty late in the game for Hard Road South and I, I, I believe I'd initially set it in 1867. It was a couple years off. And then I realized... Or maybe, no, no, it was in the 1870s. I realized that by that point, Virginia had already um, been reinstated statehood. So, oh. that wasn't going to work. I, I wanted to write it more as an occupied territory, you know, like. A, okay, yeah. So, I had to shift everything back two years and go through the whole thing and, you know, account for that. So, yeah, definitely better to spot that early on.
0: Right. For sure.
1: One other, um, I think, important aspect of my research comes more after I finish at least these past two manuscripts. I've finished them. And like I said, I'm, I'm trying to fact check as I go along, but Blue Ink appreciates the fact that I really want to, what, what they, they introduced me to the term sensitivity reader. They want somebody right. to read it, read through it, make sure that um, in the case of Hard Road South, we had some... Uh, historians from Loudoun County take a look at it, where it was mm. set, and make sure that nothing stuck out. So for yeah. um, Gone the Redeemer, one of the characters is an Apache woman. She's a member of the Mescalero Apache tribe. So it's a very specific tribe. Um, and they had just been moved to a reservation in New Mexico within her lifetime. So this is well beyond my my scope of you know, knowledge. So I was writing what I could based on research, but did manage to um, hook up with um, a member of that Apache tribe who heads up their cultural center. And so he took the time to read through the manuscript. I gave him plenty of time to do it, and we've had this great back and forth since, where he's you know signed off on the character, um, gets her motivations. And, but then was able to check me on some mainly spellings and names. I had some Apache names okay. that, based on what I could find, they were Apache names. But he was like, no, this one name in particular, I had to change completely because he said, I, this just sound, this word doesn't mean anything. This does not sound like an Apache name. So I was like, okay, great, let's change that. So I worked right. with him. He had some suggestions and we moved on. So, um, anyway, I think that's. I am much more comfortable with it now having gone through that. And I think that's important um, on some level for any historical fiction. uh, Well, any, any writing that you're going to put into the world, you know, you just want to make sure that it's telling, if you're telling somebody else's story, you want to make sure you're doing it in the best way possible, you know, as truthfully as possible.
0: Right. Yeah. That's a good point. I did something similar with my, most recent manuscript, um, or my most recent book length manuscript, um, which is, it features characters from Slovakia, which is where my ancestors are from, but I, I have only visited Slovakia. So I, I did not grow up there. Mm -hmm. Um, so I actually had a cousin that I was in touch with who did grow up there, read through it. And, um, oh my goodness, if I hadn't done that, the book would be a mess. (laughs) (laughs) It's just because I was going off of what I knew and what I could find in even the Slovak language in my like phrase books that I had. And Mm -hmm. um, he was, his help was invaluable. So. And now you can sleep at night. Yes. (laughs) Yeah.
1: That's excellent. That's a great example.
0: So I, uh, when I, when uh, you tell me that you like sent out, was it 80? Oh. Pitches to agents, maybe that's I'm amazed because I just thought that your first the first line of Gone the Redeemer, I was immediately struck by it. It hooked me. So I want to read it if that's okay. I know it's well, it'll be out by this time. So oh, yeah. um this, all of this, the deception, the stealing, even the bit with the gun cotton started with a sunset. So just like the foreshadowing of everything <laughs> all at once, I was like, Oh man, that's brilliant. Um so, tell me about your writing process and how you tackle a novel, but also how you come up with a first line like that.
1: Um, I, that line, I revisited several times as I was writing it, especially the bit mm. with the gun cotton, because I, that comes <laughs> later in the book. That's probably in the last few chapters, but yeah, I wanted to get at it early on because I was, I had, I guess, learned some things from the first novel and part of it is chapter transition. I feel like chapters in hard road South might end a little too neatly. And part of that also is the way that I'd structured it. I alternate between perspectives of two kind of co-protagonists. So that's fine. Okay. I think like, you know, yeah, um, yeah. I kind of wrap up whatever's going on with that one character so I can move on to the next. But I think the sticking with one character and writing it first person and first person was something that I just wanted to try and right. it was a little daunting, but once I got into it, I really enjoyed. So with that, I was able to create a few more cliffhangers throughout the structure. And then yes. also wanted to play with things a little more like that first line where, you know, I'm going to hint at things that happen way down the line. At some point, he mentions a character he meets for the first time and says, um, I think he appeared suddenly and then he just notes as he tends to do. So, you know, like we don't know, we don't see him up here suddenly for another 150 pages, you know, <laughs> but it's just things like that because the character knows the full story.
0: Right. And he's the character is writing it from a point in the future. Yeah. And he's telling it as if he's sitting
1: down with you to tell this ridiculous story of his. <laughs> and uh, so he, he plays with it that way in some instances. And then also he drops some pop culture references for his own time uh, throughout, Mm. which was also kind of fun to do because, you know, I'm thinking like, well, if I'm talking to somebody casually, I might reference a movie or something. And so he'll kind of do the same thing in some instances as if we know what he's talking about, but you know, we're kind of removed from it. So
0: Oh yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And I noticed the part where you you say, or not you, but the character says there's a there's a girl involved. But I'll get to that. Or something. Oh yeah. Uh, um, and then later the cliffhanger with um when he's jumping the train, you know the end of that chapter. Yeah. I was like, oh, he didn't make it. Oh. <laughs> yeah. He hands off the dog. And, it looked like uh, a failure. I don't it too much away. But, yep. Yeah.
1: Um, there's I, a few instances like that where. There he gets himself into some tight spots. And so right. you know, it's uh, sometimes just by dumb luck that things work out if they do. Yeah. So
0: <laughs> if they do. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So how do you tackle a whole novel when you when you get the idea and you're planning it out, are you a do you plot everything or what's your kind of method? I, I think
1: I've heard the term planting which is, I mean, you okay, know,
0: they, yeah. they, I'm a planter too. All right.
1: So yeah. So authors, uh, from what I've learned, d- you know, you can define yourself as a plotter or a pantser, I believe, which is just kind of winging it yes. going by the seat of your pants. And I need some structure and I try to, I'll, So I'll, I'll write a chapter or two as proof of concept as I call it. And so now I'll sit, my brother is we're very close, and he actually has designed the two covers for my two books. Oh wow! So that's great. He, yeah, he, it's so he is really uh, involved in my process, and I'll send him the first couple chapters as proof of concept. Like I said, and and he can, <laughs> you know, he's like, yeah, this is great. Keep going. It's kind of what happened when my dad read those first two chapters. You know, it's like he right. validated it and saw it as something worth going with. So I did. Uh, so I'll have that concept and play with it, you know, in the intro to kind of set the scene. And then as far as where I want things to go, I might have an, I'd an end goal. And then it's kind of a matter of plotting out the chapters to get to that. Sometimes they might come in spurts. I'm working on a, a novel now that I'm, I know what's going to happen about six chapters out and past that I'm going to have to figure it out when I get there. I I have a general sense of what's happening, but I'm not able to, you know, I like to be able to say chapter four, he's on a train, chapter five, he's Mm. meets a hermit, chapter six, they leave the hermit, you know, just some basic points of action. And then I just kind of write through that as I go. So that's pretty much the process.
0: And how does this all work with three young children?
1: (laughs) That is a fine question. And it's so quiet right now. They're they're out with it, their mom. It is, yeah. <laughs> but um, oh, okay, <laughs> I usually I definitely do most, if not all, of my writing at night. So that's after the kids are in bed, and yeah. you know it's a quiet house. And usually I'll have a couple hours. Not it's this is not every night. This is not every week. It's just when I, you know, have an opportunity. And usually I'll I'll have a run. Like I'll get in a, you know be able to sit, uh, have a good month, say where I can write some more when I get down to mm-hmm. it. Um, this has happened for both books. I'll kind of work with blue ink to set myself a deadline at that point. And that's right. when, you know, it'll be a Saturday and I'll go off in the afternoon and tell everybody I got to get this done. And, uh, there right. were some for God, the redeemer, I was trying to make a uh start of the year deadlines. there were definitely some nights where i would be making coffee at 9 p.m to make sure i'd be able Mm -hmm. to get through it usually i like to relax with a you know little glass of bourbon or something but this was not that kind of writing i was just trying to (laughs) trying to (laughs) stay awake get things going so um yeah that's 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 it though and i enjoy it that's i enjoy writing at that time of day it's um it's separate from my work life that way and it's it's yeah. a way for me to unwind and relax and just not do journalistic writing but just write within this world where anything goes you know
0: yeah yeah it's like um it's like fun it's play yeah definitely right yep i mean maybe not when you're working on the final draft or Get, get your edits back from Blue Ink, but it's
1: still it's still exciting i mean that is more um that does feel more like a daunting task when you have to go through and yeah edit. but um but still it's at this point i just finished um well yeah I f- when i finished edits for gone the redeemer it had been more than a year since i finished the manuscript so it was fun to revisit it in that way oh, yeah. you know so that was That's that good. was enjoyable
0: Nice. Um, So what are you working on now? What can you tell us about that? So um,
1: my, I had an idea for the third book and it was going to be again in the same world as the first two, not a direct connection, but it would be another little hint at what happened to one of the main characters in Hard Road South. And, and it actually the concept, and it's set in North Carolina Uh, where I'm at now. And I think Mm -hmm. it would be a way to tie everything together and kind of resolve some things from Hard Road South. But I started working on that and I just wasn't getting traction. It wasn't something Mm -hmm. kind of like how after Hard Road South, I wanted to do something higher energy. Yeah. I wasn't quite feeling it at the time. I think it's a good story and I want to tell it in a serious way and it'll address, um, it's going to be set in 19... 30s north carolina so there's a lot of important things to address but i'm not there yet and i talked to my public i talked to sherry at blue ink press about it and i said i'm thinking about this third book and i'm just not quite getting traction with it so is there anything you you'd like to see is there a book that you'd like to come across your desk and 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 then i mentioned that there's this science fiction thing that i kind of have in, you know in the back of my head. So she said do that. I explained it to her and she's like let's go for that. Let's see what happens. So I'm now working on what I would call southern literary sci-fi and it's I am not at the science fiction part yet. I am heavy in the historical part. I can't
0: Okay, so it is historical. It is.
1: I can't break away from the historical side. I'm I started I started it in the early 1900s. It's going to be kind of an alternate history that runs from that oh. period through 1990.
0: And wow, right now I'm
1: stuck in North Alabama in 19, 1940. I won't say stuck, okay. I'm enjoying my time there. But it is, <laughs> it is I'm kind of, as I write it, I, I are, you,
0: are you in the alternate universe or the
1: this is an alternate the, universe the, because I don't want what happens in this universe to happen to my characters from Gone the Redeemer and Hardwood South. I don't want it to be a part of their world. Okay, yeah, so um. It's definitely its own thing. And, I, and I'll check in with my brother and I'm like, I, I don't know if this should be sci-fi in the end. And he's like, no, 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 it's good. You need to keep going with it. So just cause I'm getting so involved with these characters that are, you know, back yeah. in time anyway, it, it'll it work out. We hope, but uh, it's, it's definitely interesting to kind of start working in a different genre and then realize that, well, I really do want to make it kind of a mashup of these two genres. <laughs>
0: Right, so that is interesting. Does so obviously your publisher doesn't care that you're crossing genres, but it still has a historical bent. So it kind of is a historical fantasy. Um, I because that's a that's a thing.
1: <laughs> let's see, is it is it is historical sci-fi a thing? I mean, there's definitely there's I don't going to be some aliens, so.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: I don't know. I mean, maybe
0: it's a new thing. Maybe so. I see if And
1: if my publisher hears this podcast, they'll probably call me and say, can we have coffee again? <laughs> Cause we need the course <laughs> correct immediately.
0: <laughs> oh.
1: I don't know. It's interesting. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's more of the same uh, type of research just, and I think that'll continue because even if I'm writing in the 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, so now I'm in an era that I lived in, but I still need to fact check uh, different right. parts of history and what was going on then. So
0: it's. I heard a while ago that um, <laughs> historical fiction can be set, I think, as late as the 90s. So.
1: Oh, I was curious about that. I wonder what the c- cutoff. Yeah, is.
0: I'll have to look that up again, yeah. but um, I believe that's what I read, and I was like, "What my." Mm. not even my childhood my teenage years are
1: historical <laughs> are fiction.
0: now right yeah
1: it's like the Great. oldie station it's ever evolving and then all of a sudden you hear <laughs> yes. like you know Elton my John. favorite songs are now on the <laughs> right oldie like that is not an oldie that is classic rock clearly
0: <laughs> <laughs> right yes okay so this is a question i ask all my guests how do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present
1: Uh, I love that question. Um, I would say that uh, at least my experiences with historical fiction is that it's grounding. I I think, you know, Mm -hmm. and it helps helps, um, me realize that we're all part of the same timeline. And although our surroundings and the period may be different, the way, you know, kind of the human experience is fundamentally the same. So that's how I started writing these characters. They were in a time and a place completely foreign to me. And I tend to focus on periods of history that are a little obscure that aren't written about that often. So there's not always that much information about what was going on at that time or place. But whatever was happening, these characters, I've heard other guests on your show say it, that they're people, you know, like us. Yeah, It's just that they were... (laughs) dealing with different things at the time and they had different parts of the culture was influencing them in different ways. So they might react to some situations a little differently, but for the most part, um, I think we look at history through the lens of grainy black and white photographs, but then you stop and think that that was a very vibrant, colorful, moving scene. And this is just how they documented right. at the time or, you know, dusty old portraits or whatever. So yeah. I think that's, um, that's the interesting part to me is bringing to life these these parts of the past so we can relate better to them today.
0: Yeah, that's great. So, Scott, this has been a fantastic conversation. What is the best way for listeners to follow you?
1: So, um, Scott M. Gates is kind of the key to everything. M, my yeah. middle initial. Um, if you go to scottmgates.com, that's my website, or on Facebook or Instagram at Scott M mm-hmm. Gates. And um, okay. I'd love to love to hear from them and meet them.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I've
1: really enjoyed this conversation. And I look forward to hearing more of your podcasts.
0: Well, my friends, I hope you enjoyed my chat with Scott Gates. Do remember to check out the show notes. They can be found either in your podcatcher app or at com slash blog. In the show notes, you'll find links to Scott's books so you can buy them and to his website and social media so you can connect with him or check out more about him. So please make sure to go to the show notes and click those links and see what you can find. It's always interesting. Now, I was thinking about what Scott said about how we kind of have this common experience with people throughout history, and I found this James Baldwin quote. He said, It was books that taught me that the things that tormented me most were the very things that connected me with all the people who are alive, who had ever been alive. So my friends, keep reading historical fiction, and I will talk to you again next week.